This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Bob Kiesler, who is Vice President for Administration and Finance at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. Welcome, Bob. Hello. Hey, Bob, to get us started today, I was hoping you could share with our listeners how you came to higher education as a profession. I think that potentially there was some textile background in your distant past. There was, yeah. I started uh, in industry. Uh, uh, Didn't really plan that. I uh, worked in a textile mill uh, at night while I went to school. I was married, and my wife and I had our first daughter. Uh, So that certainly will uh, get you focused on a different career Mm -hmm. or uh, studies uh, doing that, although I ended up in textiles for about five years or more. uh, just by happenstance, and and uh, ended up in this in industry in a in a way by happenstance as well. Um, what really got me interested in in sort of that first moment that I thought about a career or I'd like to be around colleges and universities. I was in textiles. Uh, I had changed jobs. I had started working in a town in Orangeburg. South Carolina with a textile company there, uh, and it moved down uh, before my wife and daughter could leave because of school, and uh, started, I would try to be all three shifts uh, at the, the, the plant where I was working. I was like the uh, superintendent for uh, dyeing and finishing. Um, so what happened, though, is I would leave in the afternoon and go play golf. And by happenstance, I started playing golf with some young men that were from South Carolina State University, which is a historically black uh, university in South Carolina. And would come back, and they they were wonderful and fun uh, to do that with, and would keep telling my wife that the most fun I had every day was those, and it got to be about three times a week, where I would play golf with those students and that what a great thing it would be if uh, I ever could be paid uh, to spend all day at a university and just kind of filed that away and didn't think much of it and lo and behold uh, got out of the textile industry became a CPA worked in private practice for about three years and and one day a friend called and said there's a local college that needs someone with a, an accounting background, but a management background. And I 
I recalled and had always thought back about that time uh, spending with those college students uh, and leaped at it and said, you know, that's uh, how could I not do that? So um, that's kind of how I ended up in this business. Amazing. I love that story. I thought you were going to say you told your wife you just wanted to play golf all day with college students. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> but it's hard to get some. I'm not good enough to be paid for playing golf. But it, it was um, it was a remarkable experience. It, it was really eye-opening uh, as to how, you know, open they were to kind of welcome me in and, and, and just talking to them. Uh, while we played was just really uh, amazing is what they thought and and were interested in what I thought about things and and what they could learn from me and I, it just never dawned on me that, uh, uh, that you could have an influence with young people and how open uh, they were and it, it turned out to be a a pretty pivotal, and it was fun, uh, moment in my life and career. Amazing. I love that story. Bob, what part of working in the private sector do you feel helped you to transition to academia when you did that? You know, I really think it, it because I haven't been in finance and accounting my whole life, uh, I've kind of realized that that what I do is a necessary evil, if mm -hmm, you would, mm -hmm. uh, that it's not about, you know, what I do, that I'm here to support the efforts of others and to, to help them. Uh, it's not my job to protect the assets necessarily of the university. It's to make sure that we use them efficiently and effectively in the mission of the institution. And, uh, you know, I, I was on the other side of that. I was in production uh, in the in industry uh, and then you know being in public practice. Uh, so that I think that perspective has been beneficial for me. Absolutely. When you again thinking back to when you first entered higher education as a profession, is there anything that was particularly challenging for you, or things that you wish that you knew that you might tell somebody else coming into higher ed about what it's like and and just the ins and outs of your daily life? I I, I think what I I didn't realize was um, uh, how people watch what you do. I, I figured out fairly soon that uh, the numbers I gave were important and people made decisions on them, of course. Uh, but I learned pretty early that my attitude and how I carried myself and made a big difference. I, I remember I started out at a, at a, a school that was having financial problems at the time. Uh, it's doing great now. Uh, but Back when we had payroll checks, uh, paper checks, mm -hmm. uh, and not direct deposits, uh, I needed to run an errand, uh, and it happened to be they came by and dropped off my, my check, uh, and I didn't even take it with me, but I was rushing out, and I rushed out the building and ran my little errand and got back an hour and a half later, and the campus was in turmoil because 
somebody saw me rushing out and said, oh my goodness, Bob Kiesler ran out to cash his check. There must not be enough money. <laughs> and they, it, that never dawned on me. Oh my but gosh. It was, it was a revelation that, like I said, not only is what I said mattered, but how I carried myself and, and uh, maybe when it wasn't, uh, necessarily the, the time to be confident I needed to show confidence mm. uh, and that I needed to pay attention to things that I never thought I needed to previously. Let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about your current role. What would you say is most exciting about your job today, Bob? Well, I think uh, I, I tell people all the time, I, I wish I was 10 years younger for lots of reasons. Uh, you and me both, that, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Uh, one is I think we're entering such an exciting period in our industry. It will be stressful. Um, it will be difficult. But I don't know that there's been as much opportunity for all sorts of institutions as it used to be. Uh, you know, one of the great things about our, our industry and our institutions, you know, is the, the historical aspect of it, traditions and all of those things. We all love that. But for the longest time, it was very difficult and it took decades and decades and quite frankly, probably just endowment money to change a perception of an institution and who they really were. I don't think that's going to be the case any longer. I think if you can be agile and innovative and develop programs that students need and understand that that program might have a short shelf life. You know, we've developed majors that last for decades, if not half centuries, if not centuries. We're going to start looking at developing academic programs that might last five or seven years. But it's going to schools that can do that, schools that can embrace that. And it's their niche. Some schools, that won't be their niche. But for many, most, that's going to be the niche if they can learn how to do that and be agile and innovative. They can change their perception in a very short period of time, I think, going forward. To me, that's exciting. I'm, I don't have that many years left in my career. But the reason I came to Shenandoah was because it is that sort of place and that we're going about it very deliberately to be even more agile, more innovative, to let that just be part of our culture and our DNA, that we don't say, gosh, I'll be glad when all this change is over, that we embrace it daily and seek it out. And I, that's horribly exciting to me. I, I just can't express to you how how much I enjoy that, how how I think it's it's appropriate, how I think it's time for that in our industry. Uh, and that I find that terribly exciting. Can you give me an example of what it means to you to be agile and innovative? Are there things you're doing or considering right now at Shenandoah that embody that, if you will? Uh We've talked about a couple of things uh, academically, and I think this, this speaks so highly of our president, our provost, and our faculty 
in our opening faculty meeting this year, we talked about how can we move the process of adding majors from nine or ten months to three and four. Mm. You know, how can we streamline that? How can we be just as reactive, maybe that's not the, the best word, but, but proactive in developing programs and let's 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 get them done. Let's don't make and this is a pet peeve of mine, let's don't make things harder than they are. Mm-hmm. We can develop really good programs quickly. You, you have to think through them and all of those things. I'm not we're not saying let's don't do that and not have rigor by any stretch. But we can do it faster than we've done it in the past. And we've just got to be focused on that. Uh, what we've done administratively is to start saying, let's start from scratch on something. If we're going to do a process, uh, we had a, we do a lot of our uh, students more than any other place I've been have work study, uh, student employment. Uh, we had a 17-step process previously, and wow. we've scrapped that, and now it's six steps for a student to get awarded uh, work-study money, whether federal or institutional, and go through this all-electronic process to get hired. Uh, so we went from 17 steps to six. And we're starting, and we've reorganized, I've reorganized some of our operationals, to carve out people to form a, a team that just looks at process improvement. Uh, now, I'm a big fan of the Dilbert cartoon, so I understand how Dilbertian it is <laughs> to have a process for process improvement. <laughs> but that's part of the fun, too, right? Uh, but we're, we're, we're more and more, and we've done this for a few years, but now picking up steam to say, Let's forget about however we've done something. Let's start from the bottom up and say, if we were starting from scratch, how would we do this? How would we make it as easy for our students as possible? Uh, and that's what we're trying to implement. We're doing that in our academic programs, and we're trying to make sure we do that in all of our uh, administrative functions. Now, it's a lot easier to say that than do it. Mm-hmm. Uh but we're committed to it, and uh, we won't get it all perfect. Uh, of course not, but we'll, uh, we'll get it better. Uh, and just like a Dilbert cartoon, we'll laugh at ourselves uh, when we've tried to do something right and, and, and didn't quite get it right. Uh, but that's not going to stop us from trying to improve things. We'll, we'll giggle and laugh and shake our heads at the uh, humanity of us, and then we'll go about making it a little better. And that's just what we've started to do here routinely. Um, A lot of what you've just been talking about sounds internal and a culture of being agile and innovative. When it comes to the innovation piece, is that something that you're looking to other industries or other places for pockets of inspiration about what you can bring internal? Or is it really just in response to what your students are telling you and what your community partnerships are, are sharing with you? Sort of all of the above. We, we had a, a dean that retired a few years ago. Uh, he did a really good job for us. He was a dean of our pharmacy school. 
and uh, was just an innovative person. And uh, uh, he was foolish enough to agree uh, to start helping us look at where higher education is going. And, and instead of being the dean to spend his time looking for articles, talking to business people, just helping us look at what's out there mm -hmm. in our industry and what other industries are saying about higher education, that what we need. And so, uh, gosh, I must get all of us in the senior team probably get five emails from him a day, each one with three or four links wow. <laughs> to articles and books. And, and we've started reading these all, all kind of different books that the senior team kind of does and we talk about uh, about what we should be becoming uh, and it's uh, so we've we've made some deliberate efforts to try to get as much information out there uh, as we can about you know how the world is changing about uh, you know Moore's law and all those kind of things about the pace of change um, and we're, we're talking about internally that in our senior management team and with our university cabinet and others. We've, this gentleman has made presentations now to our board, to our faculty, to our staff multiple times. He's probably on the, the seventh version of a white paper that looks at all of these things for us internally. Um, so that's, that's, a big part of how we're doing and then what happens from that is all of us then find other articles and, and information in books and we've just started sharing that with each other. So it, uh, it requires a little time to read at night, uh, but it's, it's exciting stuff for us to look at. I love it. I love your attitude toward the future and the current, how exciting it all is, because sometimes you get the flip side of that, like, it's going to be so challenging, and we're coming into rocky water. So um, to that point, not to be not to be a negative Nancy here, but sure. what would you say <laughs> is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today? It sounds like you have a lot of excitement for the future. You also did allude to the fact that there, there would be challenges. So what do you think those challenges look like? I, I think the biggest challenge um, uh, for us as, as CBOs and for our institution is, is courage. Um, uh, it's it's, it's going to be hard to go and change uh, what we do. Uh, and, and in many cases, what has worked for us for decades and centuries um, it's it's hard to do this. It's hard to work with your your trustees that finally remember the institution thirty and forty and fifty years ago, and it was it, it was a great institution for them. It it gave them what they needed. Uh, that's not what students need now, uh, and that's a hard conversation to have. It requires to 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 go forward like we've been talking. It requires courage of the 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 trustees, presidents, and in faculties, and in everyone, and um, you know that's uh, that's a great thing to talk about. It's hard to to suck it up and 
talk to people about things they don't want to hear. Uh, and that's that's difficult. It's inherently difficult. It's it's human nature to avoid those kind of conversations. But they're absolutely vital uh, in this. Uh, and then it's managing time. Uh, I'm I'm excited about all that, as as you can tell. I, I love what I do. I, I trust me. I sit down sometimes, and and I've fanned these flames here at our institution. I sit down sometimes and think, "What in the world have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do all that I need to do. But mm-hmm. it, heck, that was true thirty years ago when I started in this profession. It's right. just, it's no different. Bob, when you think about your approach to all of this, and it sounds like you um, have a very significant um, approach to leadership and management and and all of the things that you're doing on a daily basis as it relates to everything we were just talking about. But as you as you think back over your career, can you think about anybody that served as a professional mentor to you and what how important that was to you? Yeah, I, I, I was I didn't have uh, an individual that was a mentor for me. Where I found that was in Sakubo for me in the southern, uh, being from in the southern states, mm-hmm. and Nakubo. And I found people there that are, are now my, my dearest of friends and colleagues, and that I could lean on them and we could talk if it was a technical issue, or if it was just somebody to vent with, or wine too uh, and because of that I've, I've tried to make sure I've given back to those organizations um, if, if anyone from Sakubo or Nakubo have ever asked if I was interested in doing something I've just routinely said yes uh, because quite frankly I've gotten more out of it than I've ever contributed but because um uh, I learned uh, how to do this uh, from my own trial and error, but so much from colleagues that were willing to talk to me and to help me, uh, and just people I met. And but we developed great friendships, and uh, uh, that that's how I uh, I learned. I always say that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not the smartest uh, person around, but uh, it's always good to to hang out and associate with really smart people, uh, and that's what you find in our profession and in those organizations. And the more I was with them, the smarter I got, the more knowledgeable I've got, and the more I, I felt like insightful uh, I became. Uh, so that's the way I did it, uh, and. To me, what's nice about that is it's great to have a mentor and people that have mentors in their life. Boy, that's fabulous. But but they're out there, and they're in these organizations, and it doesn't matter what region you're in. They're, they're out there. I've got good friends in the others uh, now that are perfect for that, and that's, that's how I accomplished that, or they took me under their wing probably more than me <laughs> directing that. When you think of the next generation of leaders, what do you see and what do you see the challenges being for them? I, I, I try to, when I'm talking to, to people that are new in this 
business. I try to, there are a couple of things I try to tell them to make sure they do. And uh, is whoever the chief academic officer is, that should be, you should think of them as your partner. There's not a more important partnership at any institution than the chief financial officer, chief business officer, and the chief academic officer, and to embrace those people. Uh, I can look back over my career, and except for a, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, except for a small period of a few months, uh, the chief academic officers at the institutions where I've been have become my dearest friends and colleagues. And I think it's because we, we both went at that, that relationship as a partnership. And I think it's incumbent on the business officer to, to do that uh, and to reach out and, and to say, you know, I'm your partner. I, the other thing I tell young uh, CBOs and people interested in this is, listen, no one has all the resources they want. You're going to have to say no a lot. Don't be known for saying no. Be known for what you say yes to. Say yes to strategically important initiatives. Look for those. Be positive in those. Um, that's what you want to be known for. You'll get to say the no an awful lot. Gosh, I do it all the time. It drives me crazy. But look for those instances that are important that you can work with someone like that chief academic officer and come to a yes when it's strategically important. Um, I think those things are, are really key. Bob, anything else you'd like to share that I have neglected to ask you today? Well, probably the other thing that I've learned from mistakes over the, the years is uh, how important culture is. Uh, I've made a couple of hires over my career where I got enamored by technical ability. And, and certainly in our world, you've got to have some technical ability. The numbers have to be right. <laughs> if they're not right, nothing else works. But culture is such an important aspect of what you do. If you get someone that's technically superior, but they're not a culture fit, they might save you time on numbers, but it'll cost you much more time and effort to work around the culture fit. Uh, uh, I've, I've tried to over the years, in the last 10 years or more of my career, absolutely, if I don't find the right culture fit, I, I just don't go forward. I figure something else out. Um, I think that's a, a real key uh, to what we do now and, and how we can influence it. Because so much, so many of us, if not all, Part of this responsibility, and that's a great part of what we do, is the breadth of our involvement. That's what makes it fun, makes it challenging. But if HR reports to you, you know, to me, it's always been how do I help anyone in our institution that's looking to bring someone in? How do I help them understand the importance of culture and how do we go about 
making sure we have culture fits. Uh, so that's probably uh, something I would would add to all this. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for your time today and for sharing your enthusiasm and just a few of your insights with us. My pleasure. You can find out more about Bob and today's episode by visiting the conferences and e-learning section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Bob and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Thank you.